Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Like Homer Simpson, I love my TV. Without my local channels, my networks, cable access, on-demand, and streaming shows, none of us would have made it through the pandemic. The downside is that in order to remain distracted and entertained, I became oversubscribed. Mixed with my perpetual fear of missing out, I've ended up paying for more cable channels than I need, and I'm subscribing to streaming services I don't even watch. I'm just too lazy to go through my credit card statements, find the offending charges, and then go through the hassle of calling customer service and canceling my subscription. Note to self, you you gotta do that. But I've been a TV junkie since I was a kid, and one of the things that's always fascinated me are TV theme songs. Some are bespoke compositions commissioned specifically for a show. Others are formerly standalone songs that have been licensed for a program. In both cases, being the writer of a theme song can be extraordinarily lucrative, especially if the show is a hit and goes into syndication. Every time the theme you wrote gets played on TV, broadcast or streamed, anywhere in the world, you get paid. Every. Single. Time. And since you're having your song played as part of a TV show, you're constantly advertising its existence and your existence to the world. If you're lucky, It'll blow up into something much bigger. And although that doesn't happen much anymore, your label might decide to release your TV theme as a single. And if it becomes a hit, wow. What I'd like to do is look at the history of some of these TV themes, focusing on rock bands who have made some very good money, sometimes, and sometimes very insane money, from somehow ending up being associated with television. This could very well alter the way you listen to TV from now on. This is the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet, an indie band that originally was from Calgary and got into Toronto in 1984. In 1988, they released an album called Savvy Showstoppers, which contained this surf rock-like song entitled Having an Average Weekend. On the original vinyl version, it was tucked right at the end of side two, so pretty obscure. But then, an improv comedy group from Toronto called The Kids in the Hall ended up with a show on the CBC, and they asked the Shadowy Men if they could use this instrumental as their theme. 
Two guys in the band grew up with kids member Bruce McCullough. He would occasionally tap the men if the troupe needed some music for their live performances in clubs. Having an average weekend, the band's first ever 7-inch single, was used a lot. So when it came time for the kids to move to TV, it only made sense to bring that de facto theme song with them. Great. The song was licensed, and the band was paid royalties. Once more people started hearing the song via TV, having an average weekend became something of a hit, which boosted the band's fortunes. Enough money came in that they were able to quit their day jobs and go into music full-time. They did that until 1996, before they broke up. But the money from the kids' theme still comes in. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross, and I have more stories like that for this show. If you're developing a TV program, and it doesn't matter if it's for network, cable, or streaming, one of the things you need to consider is a theme song, a catchy musical thing that will grab the viewer's attention and become forever associated with the program. These catchy bits of intro and extra music are as old as television itself. There are two ways you can do this. First, you can get someone to write something brand new. Or you can repurpose something that you found somewhere else. We'll cover both on this program. Take the case of Larry David. When he was developing Seinfeld with Jerry, a guy named Jonathan Wolf was contracted to come up with some appropriately quirky music. Now, Wolf knew about music and TV, having worked on 75 different shows. Wolf realized that TV themes had become stale and boring. So, he started searching for a sound and approach that would sound fresh and distinctive. He began by listening to hours and hours of Jerry Seinfeld's stand-up. And he discovered that Jerry has a particular rhythm to his delivery, running at about 110 beats per minute. Using a preset on a Korg M1 synthesizer, on a bass guitar, as a lot of people think, Wolf created this, which runs at around 110 BPM. That's easily one of the most familiar TV themes of all time. Slap bass sounds were still brand new when the show debuted, and the beatboxing rhythm track really made it stand out. NBC hated it and wanted it upgraded, but Larry David stood firm, saying that he liked the theme's annoying qualities, which is something Larry David would probably say, and it was a good call. Now, fast forward to Curb Your Enthusiasm, which also has a piece of music that can be annoying to some. Its official name is Frolic, a once super obscure piece of music dating to 1970. It was written by an Italian composer named Luciano Michelini for a movie called La Bessalima Estate. Frolic didn't do anything for decades outside of being used in a few European TV commercials and in an Italian TV series that nobody remembers. Larry first heard the song in a commercial for a Los Angeles bank right around the time he was developing Curb for HBO. When the show became a hit, Frolic blew up. Somewhere, Luciano Michelini, who as far as I know still hasn't met Larry in person, loves getting the royalty checks in the mail. Okay, hold on back up. We, we need to cover some television history. In the old days, which really wasn't that long ago, TV shows had theme songs written for them. We had this. 
this. Boy, the way Glenn Miller played. Songs that made the hit parade. Guys like us, we had it made. Those were the days. And this. Some TV theme songs went on to become hit records on Top 40 Radio, like this instrumental piece by Mike Post that opened the Rockford Files. Or even The Greatest American Hero. It was a giant Top 40 smash in 1981. And this is the TV theme that rocked my world when I was a kid. I learned much later that the composer was a guy named Neil Hefty, a jazz trumpet player for Woody Herman's big band and a collaborator with Duke Ellington, Count Basie, and Frank Sinatra. By the 1960s, he was deeply involved in TV and movie work. When he was asked to write the theme for Batman, he must have just dashed that off in a couple of minutes. I mean, it's really just a standard 12-bar blues thing with some horns and an eight-member vocal chorus singing Batman 11 times. Since 1966, That theme has been parodied thousands of times and released as legitimate singles by other artists. Here, for example, is The Jam doing a version. The Batman theme, originally by trumpeter Neil Hefty, who made good money each time that song was played. He also wrote the theme for The Odd Couple TV show, by the way. Today, though, things are much different. Why write a theme song when you can just license something really cool from an indie artist? The game changer was in 1997, when David Chase was looking for some appropriate music for the opening sequence of his new HBO series about a New Jersey gangster. That's when he heard a track by an English group called Alabama 3 that had been released earlier that year on a record entitled Exile on Cold Harbor Lane. It had been released as a single and received a little airplay on alternative and campus radio, but it wasn't anything that you would call a hit, not even close. But Chase thought it was perfect. The song had menace and hinted of violence. The song was written by Alabama frontman Rob Sprague after reading about a 1989 English murder case involving a woman who stabbed her husband to death after being abused for two years. She was first sentenced to jail and then later freed upon appeal. At first, Chase wanted to use a different theme song for every episode of the show. But that was a licensing nightmare. Best just settle on one song and be done with it. From what I understand, Alabama 3 received a flat $40,000 for the song. Hey, listen, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Who would have guessed that the show would have become one of the most praised TV productions of all time? When you woke up this morning, Alabama 3, or A3, as they're known in the U.S. for legal reasons, with Woke Up This Morning, 
a song they sold to The Sopranos for about 40 grand in 1997. And this, for better or worse, was the real beginning of shows on premium television using indie songs for their themes. Here's another example. The Refreshments were a post-grunge band from Tempe, Arizona, who scored a one-hit wonder in 1996 with a song called Banditos from their debut album, Fizzy, Fuzzy, Big and Buzzy. Things were going well until it came time for their second album. That's when their record label lost all enthusiasm for the band. There were internal problems. Guitarist Brian Blush had substance abuse issues. And they were basically cast adrift, breaking up in 1998. Just before that happened, though, Mike Judge and Greg Daniels had a new adult animation show for Fox in development called King of the Hill, and they put out a casting call to indie bands who might want to submit something for consideration for the theme song. The Refreshments were on tour in San Francisco when they got a call from their manager. It was suggested that they enter a track called Yahoos and Triangles that they often played during soundcheck. The band figured, all right, why not? And at a gig in Wichita, Kansas, They told their audience what was happening. At the end of this instrumental, they said from the stage, whoop and holler like you're having a good time at a Texas barbecue. The performance and the hollering was recorded, and a tape was sent off to Fox. Two weeks later, Fox called and asked them to come to L.A. and record it for the TV show, and we've been hearing it ever since. Here's where things get kind of sad. The Refreshments got the King of the Hill gig on a work-for-hire basis, meaning that they recorded the song for Fox, and Fox ended up owning Yahoo's and Triangles. They received a one-time buyout, and that was it. The Refreshments do not get any further cash from that theme. The group still exists under the name Roger Klein and the Peacemakers, and when guitarist Brian Blush left the band, his share of the song was bought out for $2,500. Let's go through a few more acts who managed to snag a TV theme song gig. Did you watch Shameless with William H. Macy? The opening song is called The Luck You Got by a Detroit garage band called The High Strung. That song was plucked from their 2006 album, Moxie Bravo. True Blood starts with Bad Things by Jace Everett. He released the song in 2005. If you remember HBO's Hung, the Black Keys did the theme. The song is I'll Be Your Man. We have True Detective, which begins with Far From Any Road, a 2003 track by The Handsome Family. It was on a record called Singing Bones. And here's a good one. The Brian Jonestown Massacre was a band that had been around for a long, long time, but never seemed to catch any kind of a break. They were formed in 1988 and had gone through dozens of members over the course of more than a dozen albums. Lots of indie cred, but not much in terms of financial success. Then Martin Scorsese decided to get into TV. He wanted to do a gangster film set in Atlantic City during Prohibition. He got together with series creator Terrence Winter, a guy who worked as an executive producer and writer on The Sopranos. After combing through lots and lots of records, he went through the Brian Jonestown Massacre's discography. He'd always been a fan, apparently. And when he reached their 1996 album, Take It From The Man, he was immediately attracted to track six from the record, which he says created a feeling of the unexpected. A deal was done, and the Brian Jonestown Massacre got their big break, using a song that was more than 14 years old. It's called Straight Up and Down, and the series, of course, is Boardwalk Empire. 
More stories of TV theme songs coming up. Welcome back. We're going through some stories behind some familiar TV theme songs that were either composed for or licensed to shows that we all know. It can sometimes take years for a song to end up being resurrected for television. In 1971, Harry Nielsen, an American songwriter and good drinking and drug-taking buddy of John Lennon, released an album entitled Nielsen Schmielsen. At the time, he was considered to be one of rock's top songwriters. He had top 10 singles, a Grammy Award, and lots and lots of money, which he spent on booze and drugs. His biggest single came from this particular record. It was a cover of a song by the British band Badfinger called Without You. And the B-side of the 7-inch single featured an album track called Gotta Give Up. The song came and went, as did Harry, who died of a heart attack in 1993. However, the album Nielsen Schmilson lived on in the hearts of those who loved early 70s rock. That apparently included actress Natasha Lyonne, who was working with Amy Poehler and a few others on this new mystery comedy show for Netflix called Russian Doll. Now, if you remember the show, Nadia, played by Natasha, repeatedly dies at a party, only to be reincarnated to exactly the same time and place. And every time she returns, Gotta Give Up is playing at the party. Russian Doll debuted on February 1st, 2019, and people immediately began searching out that song. Streams went through the roof, resulting in a nice payday for the Nielsen estate. Meanwhile, the producers of Russian Doll played the song so many times that it pretty much destroyed their musical budget. It also limited the number of times Nadia could be reincarnated because Nielsen's estate said that the song could only be used so many times. Let me ask you this. Is there a time anywhere on the planet where an episode of the Big Bang Theory is not running? There were 279 episodes, more than enough to keep the show in syndication for years. And few people are happier about this than the Bare Naked Ladies. They, of course, wrote and performed the theme song for the show. A couple of facts about that. First, it does have a title. It's called The History of Everything. Second, the band didn't think they had a chance of getting the gig in the first place. They had been asked to write for movies and television before, but nothing had ever really worked out. In 2007, the band's manager brought them another opportunity. Take this conference call, he told the group's Ed Robertson. Ed's reaction was, yeah, well, you know, we're, we're, we're busy touring. I, I can't be bothered. The subject came up with Ed's wife, Natalie. Who's the call with, she asked. Oh, some guy named Chuck Laurie. She immediately recognized the name. I think you'd better Google him. So Ed did, and, uh, oh, wow, okay, this, this guy's a player. Um, I'd I, I better pay attention. It turns out that Laurie was a fan of the Bare Naked Ladies and wanted them, and only them, to write a nerdy song for a TV show about a bunch of nerds. When Ed realized what they were being offered, he then had to convince the other guys in the band, and they weren't all that interested. They were living all over North America at the time, and the idea of getting back together for a quick piece of music wasn't all that appealing. Drummer Tyler Stewart was especially reluctant. Finally, though, Ed convinced him. Tyler's reaction was, and I quote, I'll do it, but this had better be the next effing Seinfeld. The song itself came to Ed in a five-minute shower. He got out, put on a bathing suit, recorded himself singing into his laptop using just the built-in mic, and emailed it away. Lori got back to him immediately with just one note. Can you end it with the phrase, it all started with a big bang, 
Sure, no problem. Two versions were recorded, a band version and an acoustic one. And when the show debuted in September 2007, everything was in place. And the song is a lot longer than what we hear on TV. Here is the full version of The History of Everything, the official theme song to The Big Bang Theory. One more thing about the Bare Naked Lady's Big Bang Theory theme song. Ex-Bare Naked Lady Stephen Page filed a lawsuit over the song in 2015, claiming that he'd been promised 20% of the proceeds. Something must have been quietly settled because Page later ended up performing live with the band a few times. There can be a lot of money in TV themes, especially if the show lasts a long time. And some of the highest earning themes come from late night TV shows and game shows. For example, Johnny Carson asked Canadian Paul Anka to come up with something for his new program called The Tonight Show. Paul Anka got paid $400 each time that got played. And The Tonight Show ended up running for almost 30 years, four and five nights a week, with Anka earning close to a million dollars annually. Merv Griffin composed the music for both Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. The opening themes have changed, but the most enduring is the piece called Think, which runs for about 30 seconds when the players are putting down their answers in Final Jeopardy. Merv Griffin originally wrote that for his five-year-old son in 1963 to help the kid fall asleep. So yeah, it started out as a lullaby. The arrangement has been altered and updated a number of times over the decades, but it's still essentially the same. Merv Griffin got royalties from that. His estate has banked close to $100 million from the Jeopardy! Think music. And although Alan Thicke was known mainly as an actor, he also wrote TV theme songs. He wrote the themes for Growing Pains, Different Strokes, and The Facts of Life. He also wrote for game shows, The Joker's Wild, Celebrity Sweepstakes, and the original theme for Wheel of Fortune. There's Walter Murphy, as part of a TV commercial project in 1976, he created a disco-fied version of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. It was released under the title A Fifth of Beethoven. That got the ball rolling, and offers to write for TV and film came pouring in. His best-known theme these days is probably the opening for Family Guy. And then there's Danny Elfman. He's written music for over 100 movies and TV shows, including a bunch of Batman movies, Men in Black, Goodwill Hunting, Desperate Housewives, and of course, the opening theme for The Simpsons. Over more than 750 episodes of the show, he has made a fortune. His net worth is around $50 million. That theme has to be one of the most recognizable in the entire universe now. And remember the time Green Day recorded a version for the Simpsons movie back in 2007? Made it all the way up to number seven on the Billboard Hot 100 charts. 
Green Day, earning Danny Elfman just a little bit more for his Simpsons theme. We're not done yet. Stories behind more TV themes in just a sec. Let's go through a few more notable songs that ended up being associated with TV shows. They Might Be Giants made some good cash with the song Boss of Me, which was the theme for Malcolm in the Middle. That ran for seven years. It was originally written for a radio contest with a different chorus before it was picked up for the show. In 2002, it won a Grammy for Best Song Written for a Motion Picture or Television. It remains their biggest hit. John McRae of Cake managed to recycle his song Short Skirt, Long Jacket several times. It first appeared on a 2001 album entitled Comfort Eagle. And then for five seasons, it was the theme for the spoofy spy series Chuck on NBC. And it can also be heard in a number of movies and at least one Apple commercial. In 2004, the Von Bondies, a Detroit band who was a fierce rival of the White Stripes in the early days, released their one commercially successful single on an album entitled Pawn Shop Heart. Dennis Leary chose that song for his FX series Rescue Me. It ran for 93 episodes over seven seasons. And then there was the luck Jane's addiction had with the HBO series Entourage. For eight seasons and 96 episodes, each show opened with a track from the band's 2003 album Strays. It was never a single, but because of its inclusion in the opening sequence, it became a fan favorite. It's called Superhero. Here are a couple more proper songs that ended up as TV themes. The Dandy Warhols earned a little extra coin when their 2003 song, We Used to Be Friends, was picked up as the theme for the series Veronica Mars. Remember the band Remy Zero? They had a moment in the early 2000s, and their song Save Me was used for the series Smallville. Washed Out, the blissed-out electronic band, had their song Feel It All Around used for the Carrie Brownstein, Fred Armisen series Portlandia. If you're a fan of Peaky Blinders, you'll know the menacing song that opens each episode. That's a 1994 track by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds called Red Right Hand. If you're a fan of Nick, you'll know that that's probably his most popular song. After that song started being used in Peaky Blinders, the song reached a whole new audience. In fact, it became so popular that it was re-released as a single in 2014 and has been covered by everyone from the Arctic Monkeys to Snoop Dogg. And still in the UK, I want to finish with something that might be a little under the radar for some people. In December 1994, Oasis released a CD single for Whatever, a standalone song that fell between the release of Definitely Maybe and the What's the Story Morning Glory album. It came with three bonus tracks, one of which was a non-album track sung by Noel entitled Half the World Away. It remained known only to the Oasis faithful until 1998, when the creators of a BBC comedy series called The Royal Family asked to use it as a theme. The show featured a layabout working-class Manchester family, so why not have a song from a local band with working-class roots? Noel was a bit confused at first, thinking that the BBC wanted another song called Married with Children, but no, 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 they wanted Half the World Away. Okay, fine. A special edit was created, and the song ran over the closing credits for the show's 25 episodes, as well as a few specials. The song became so popular as the result of its inclusion with the royal family that it sold more than 600,000 copies and has been covered by a couple of other artists. Again, nice unexpected windfall for Noel Gallagher.
I want to end with something tangentially related to TV theme songs. And, and you'll see why this is an important story. It begins with a label called TVT. That stands for TV Tunes, Inc. The founder was a Harvard grad named Steve Gottlieb, who started the company in 1984 in his New York apartment. He was fascinated by the music he heard on television, especially theme songs. The first thing he did was collect 65 themes from shows that were big in the 50s and 60s under the title Television's Greatest Hits. You know, the Flintstones, Beverly Hillbillies, both the Munsters and the Adams Family, and dozens more. Now, remember that this was the era before the internet. So, although this was a niche market, Steve's compilation was the only place anyone could get this music. And Steve sold quite a few copies. This got him thinking about branching out. With his TV theme song compilation funding things, TV Tunes morphed into TVT Records. Steve's first signing was, wait for it, Nine Inch Nails. At the time, Trent Reznor was an unknown commodity from Cleveland who couldn't find any other record label interested in releasing his music. Steve, having heard the demos and determining that Nine Inch Nails was the new Depeche Mode, signed him up. The result was the Pretty Hate Machine album, one of the great debut records in the history of alt-rock. However, Steve did not like the final version submitted by Trent. Again, he thought he had signed a dancey Depeche Mode-like band. Well, no, he, he got something far heavier, far angrier, and way more aggressive than he'd bargained for. He went so far as calling the album an abortion. That's a quote. The result was a legal war that went on for years. Trent was allegedly underpaid while simultaneously being pressured to come up with something more commercial for a second album. Trent, annoyed at everything, especially Steve's meddling in his creative process, basically went on strike and refused to give TVT any more music. Oh, he was recording stuff, but in secret. It wasn't until Trent met Jimmy Iovine of Interscope Records that the stalemate was broken. Steve and TVT were paid off, Trent moved to Interscope, and resumed his career. As part of the deal, TVT gets a cut of some Nine Inch Nails royalties. Now, as you listen to this, it's instructive to remember that this album and the start of Nine Inch Nails as an institution in alt-rock was financed by the resale and distribution of TV themes like Green Acres and The Jetsons. The music industry is a very different place since we all started moving away from buying our music on pieces of plastic. It's all about digital files and streaming now. Artists have had to get very creative when it comes to finding new sources of revenue. And if they have the good fortune of being offered a chance to be part of a TV show, well, they're most likely going to take it. I once asked Ed Robertson of the Bare Naked Ladies about their good fortune with the Big Bang Theory theme, and he just smiled and said, yeah, that paid for a few mortgages. I'm sure some of the other people mentioned in the show can say the same thing. There are hundreds of ongoing History of New Music podcasts available for the taking. Go to any podcast app and download. They're all free. If you're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, so am I. If you need music news and information on a daily basis, there's my website, ajournalofmusicalthings.com. You should be getting the free daily newsletter by now. And if you want to communicate about anything specific, use alan at alancross.ca. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. We'll talk to you next time. I'm Alan Cross. 
You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Thank you.